Hello and welcome to another edition of Flashpoint. I'm your host, Ryan Mills. The Trump administration has, somewhat quietly, declared this week Energy Week, and it is expected to be bookended by a speech on Thursday where President Trump will tout America's energy prowess and his aim at solidifying its position as a dominant player on the world's energy, energy stage. A key element of the America First Energy Plan, the strategy he hopes to use to achieve this goal, involves the cultivation of strategic assets including fossil fuels such as oil and gas. Here to discuss this strategy and its opportunity is Alex Epstein, best-selling author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Alex, thanks for joining me. Uh, looking forward to it. Alex, for our listeners who might not be familiar with your book or your viewpoint on fossil fuels and their role in society, could you, could you give us a brief synopsis? Sure. The, the book's talk, uh, called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, and, and the moral in moral case means human or human flourishing. So the basic premise of the book is that the way that we should evaluate fossil fuels or anything else as a realm, uh, role rather in society is by, and to the extent, uh, whether it contributes to human flourishing or not. And one thing the book observes is that the dominant way of evaluating forms of energy is not how much they contribute to human flourishing, but how green they are, how little they impact nature. And I argued this is a corrupt standard that human beings survive by transforming or impacting nature, and that we really need to use the human flourishing standard, and that if we do use the human flourishing standard, then overall fossil fuels are amazingly good for human life, and humanity needs to use more of them, not less. So in your book, you underscore the point that the world is a really hostile place. It's not a really um, hospitable climate for humans. And our technological uh, innovations uh, derived from the use of fossil fuels have played a key part in making it more habitable. Uh, This seems like a logical message, uh, yet many detractors of our industries push campaigns arguing the opposite with names such as keep it in the ground. Why do you think people would want to limit the production of a good that by most every metric has made our world so much better to live in? I think there are a couple of, of issues there. So one is, it's nature is both hostile and friendly to human life. And we can't say it's, it's uniformly unfriendly, because this is the planet that has produced human life. But at the same time, in terms of the potential for human life, the planet is really a ball of potential. Our ancestors lived on average from 20 to 30, and that was continuing for 100,000, 200,000 years. Uh, There are just simply many, many uh, aspects of the planet that are not uh, in our favor. There are other species who are trying to out-compete us and actually devour us in one way or another, just mosquitoes uh, being one kind of example. And thus the way to look at nature is not as something perfect that needs to be preserved, but as something with a lot of potential that needs to be perfected uh, over time. And then you ask, okay, well, this, this is a common sense perspective. Why don't people have it? Well, one thing to observe is that both the left and the right today lack this perspective. The right is often reactive to the left for, an, for interesting kinds of reasons, and the industry is often reactive uh, to its opponents. Uh, and, and you see this in the environmental issue. But the proper way to respond to people who say, we should preserve nature, is to say, no, we should be improving nature. But instead, what the industry says is, oh, we're getting better at preserving nature. We don't impact nature as much as we used to. And this is kind of the Republican position, or to dodge uh, the environmental issue totally, which we can discuss when we discuss uh, the Trump administration, how it's, it's thinking about things. So it's, it's relevant that 
you know, nature as potential versus nature as perfection. Uh, you know, that's that's something that is thought of incorrectly by just about everyone. As to why it's thought about incorrectly, I think there are a number of reasons, but one is that in modern civilization, we're so insulated from nature in its pure form that it's easy to lionize it or to act like it's some pleasant Disney movie and to ignore all of the threats that industrialization has overcome in terms of natural danger. But it's a huge mistake because there's so much more that we can overcome, so much more that we can improve, and so we really need to have this view of the potential as a place of great potential and promise for human flourishing versus the planet as a perfect place that should be preserved from human activity. So turning toward uh, this week, we had mentioned this Energy Week, um, the Trump administration and the Trump administration's focus on energy, what specific ways do you see the downstream sector contributing to America's energy dominance going forward? I want to raise again the issue of how we evaluate things. So America's energy dominance is not the way that I think of the goal of an energy policy. Dominance, you know, dominance implies submissiveness, and that someone being dominant implies someone being uh, submissive or at least being weak. And I think that's a very relevant, it's mostly a relevant thing in a military context. There, There are reasons to say, I want an America first policy, not that you want to oppose other people, but it's very, that realm above all others, superiority is, is particularly valuable. I think with energy, the point is we want an energy policy that contributes to human flourishing, and, and if it's America, uh, Americans flourishing in particular. And part of that is energy security, so we want secure energy supplies. Uh, but the broader thing that gets us that and gets us all the other values, uh, including cheap, the energy being cheap, plentiful, and reliable, because we don't want domestic energy that's expensive and scarce and, and unreliable. So it's not about domestic primarily. It's, it's cheap, plentiful, reliable, secure. If we want that, then the key is energy freedom. So I see energy freedom as leading to energy abundance and energy security. So that, that, that's how I think of the policy. And in terms of downstream, which we can just talk about in terms of refining and, and you know, petroleum and natural gas into all sorts of really valuable products, and that's something that the public should just be much, much more educated about in terms of how valuable it is to be able to transform, let's just say, oil, which is just naturally this black glob, into you know, these unique kinds of fuels that can power a tractor and oil, you know, a diesel that nothing else can, or that can power an airplane and way nothing else can, or that can cost-effectively power an automobile and nothing else can like nothing else can. And then all the synthetic materials, you know, from special kinds of foam in your bed to Kevlar and bulletproof vests to the materials and artificial arts. It's just this unbelievable, this unbelievable output by this very underappreciated sector of society that takes these hydrocarbons or fossil fuels and turns them and actually makes them useful without downstream, without refining. All of this stuff is, is basically useless, which is what it was uh, before the 1850s when modern oil refining began. So there's just an unlimited value. But I, it's a value to human flourishing first and foremost. It's not a value to dominance. Yeah, sure. Well, Alex, what can uh, listeners expect from you in the future? I saw on your Facebook page that you're working on a potential documentary and a new book. Uh, can you tell us more about those? Yeah, well, both of those are definitely potential. Uh, I'm, I've been outlining and working with 
uh, an interesting company on a documentary of the moral case for fossil fuels. In terms of the next, uh, it, so that'll be really cool if it works. I have very high standards for what it needs to, needs to accomplish. So, and I've never done a documentary, so I'm not sure how that'll go. If people are listening to this later, it may be a spectacular success, or it may have just been an idea that we canned next week. Uh, you know, as of, as of this week in, in late June. Uh, in terms of a, another book, that's really uh, unknown, un, unknown by me, and I've been talking about it with my agent. I have a couple of different ideas, uh, but. I'd say that for listeners, if, if you're interested in what we're doing, besides checking out the moral case for fossil fuels, which is two and a half years old, but I'd say just as current in terms of the argument and the relevance as it was when it came out in November 2014, uh, if you go to our website, industrialprogress.com, at the top there's just a place to sign up for our mailing list, and every week that's where we give updates and, and you know our latest commentary and latest thinking. So that's really a clearinghouse for keeping up to date on everything. So for example, this podcast will be shared uh, on that on that newsletter. So industrialprogress.com, getting on the newsletter. If you're interested, that's definitely the way to go. Well, Alex, thanks again for coming on. And if you want to check out, check in with Alex or engage with him, uh, his handle on Twitter is at Alex Epstein. Uh, again, thanks so much, Alex. All right, my pleasure.